Right, welcome back to the podcast, Stephen Sully Study. Got a wicked guest in front of me, a man I've been tracking down for some time. <laughs> uh, fortunately, had his brother on the podcast some time ago, and now it's only right to bring the other twin on, Mr. James Exton. Welcome on board, mate, and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. All good. So, when I was doing a bit of kind of research into all my, my guests, which I do, including yourself, there was a common theme that kept on coming up with um, different articles in different publications, and I'll read you one. Um, in many different articles, it said that you've had a side hustle and you've become successful from that side hustle. What yep. does that actually mean? Just means that I'm not tied to one fixed business, if you like. I've got core businesses, but then I've had, had and do have multiple other entities that make money um, in different directions, which allow me to kind of have multiple income streams, which I know is a probably a, a bit of a buzz at the moment. But yeah, definitely something that is true to, true to its word. Yeah, so um, I, I'm a big believer of multiple streams of income. I've got obviously here, I'm going to monetize the podcast at some point when, yeah. I, when, I'm, when I'm big enough and when I'm pumping out enough value. Yeah. Hence why I'm trying to get people like yourself on, yeah. on board with the podcast. Got property and a few other little bits and pieces. So I do resonate with multiple streams of income. However, I'm going to caveat, caveat what I've just said by saying this. Sometimes a lot of the younger people misunderstand what that means. They'll try and do 10 different things, not super well, yep. and they'll dilute their efforts, yep. and they'll end up earning no money because they've got this mindset of chasing 100 different rab rabbits, but they're going hungry. Yeah, jack of what, all. How, how, do you, how do you kind of install the right mentality then to pursue the yeah. multiple streams of income? I think what you said just now makes 100% sense. I think, yes, multiple income streams is ultimately the, the end goal you want to reach, but not at the detriment of ruining each and every um, kind of one you embark on. Patience and consistency, obviously, is the main thing. So my multiple income streams didn't all start simultaneously at once. It's a building block. I build one, I get it running. It's like, imagine, I'd say an analogy, if I'm spinning plates on a stick. I don't go and spin them all to start with. I get one, I get it spinning nicely, know it's comfortable, then I can focus a little bit of energy on another one, third one, fourth one, fifth one, so on. So I think to, to that extent where you said 100%, Focus on one and also appreciate that one won't necessarily work. And most people are quite proud and won't admit, but loads of things don't work. And you don't know if it's going to work unless you try it. And you don't know if it's going to work unless you try it and you put in sufficient effort, time and resources, which a lot of people don't. So yeah, like you say, people will just kind of touch a load of things, give it a couple of weeks or a month or two, think, oh, I'm not seeing any money from this. It's rubbish. Start another one and go through that same cycle time and time again. But ultimately, the reality is, I know that my one of my major businesses, it was six months before I earned a penny or even tried to earn a penny. I was building an audience, building credibility and all the key kind of foundational parts it needed. Yeah. So Forbes in 2017, there's a few different articles, two, a few different publications that have written fairly the same thing. It said mm. this, the brothers who built a million pound business from a blog. Yeah. If you were to extend on that. Yeah. So brothers being me and my twin brother. Uh, Tom, who you've had on the podcast, and another set of brothers that I started this business that's talking about, which is London Muscle, my fitness business, the one I'm wearing now. Um, so we started a blog, it was content marketing. So back in 2012, 2013, we started a uh, simple advice port, if you like, a place people could come and get realistic advice for fitness um, and all things to do with running a normal, busy working life alongside getting, getting fit and healthy, basically, and cutting out all the rubbish in the industry. Um, so we started it as content marketing. You come in, free advice, didn't have to pay for anything. Did that for six months, built a loyal core audience of people that really enjoyed what we said, used our advice, derived value from it. And from that point, after six months, we were like, we have an audience of people here that have had enough value from us guys, trust our word and what we do. Now when we try and monetize the information that we're selling, which is what we were doing at the time and still do now, selling information predominantly, they're willing to part with money because they feel like, actually, do you know what? These guys have really helped me up until now. And so that's what we started. We had 50 quid between the four of us for a logo, which we chipped in. Um, and then we put together basic blogs on all things, health, fitness, food, nutrition, the kind of common questions we were asked, but put it in a central place where everyone could come and get it for free. Yeah. So um, I listened to a few of your podcasts yeah. yesterday and also this morning. Yeah. And by the way, very, very good, mate. Um, Thank you. I, 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 so when I, when I think about you and your brother, I think about cars. Yep. I think about your twins yep. and I also think about training, exercise yep. and, and gym work. Yep. But when I listened to your one of the podcasts, you, you weren't always into the gym. It no. was only when you got to university, yep. that's when you discovered it. So yep. what was that switch for you? So 
up until uni, I kind of played sport, team sports. I've always, and again, that might not have relevance to business, but in a way it does because it's about discipline and it's about consistency and it's about commitment and it's about committing to something, to an end goal. So I think that's always been something that's been in my life, which has allowed me to kind of continue that progress. Um, but yeah, I went to university, I studied law. I qualified as a barrister. Um, I got a scholarship to become a barrister in England. Um, and that was what I was interested in. That was my passion. That's what I wanted to do as a career. That's, you know, when you grow up and you think, what do I want to do when I'm older? Well, I didn't really know until I got later in life. Um, mischievous, me and my twin were quite mischievous. I say no more on that, but I was always interested in criminal law. I found that interesting, defending someone for a crime and, and how that worked in justice. So anyway, long story cut short, that's what I went and did, went to university. And when I got to uni, I was kind of, I was immature. I was really immature. And I was looking at people in the summer and I was thinking, these guys are in great nick, like physical nick. And I've never really looked at myself in a physical way. I've kind of just been a little kid running around causing, causing chaos. So then the light bulb came on. I was like, I really want to take pride in how I look physically um, whilst I played sport. But now I'm kind of, I guess, more vain, more aware at that age. You're at uni, obviously, new surroundings and trying to impress people, what have you. So I got really fixated on the gym. And like everything, I've always been really, really dedicated. If I give it 100, I'll give it 110. Like, I'll really commit to something. So I started training at university. Doing a law degree is extremely stressful. It's not a jolly. It's not four hours a week. You're buried in a library. It's full on. It's, it's a professional career. So the commitment to team sports was quite hard mm. to, to have that structure and be able to do everything without detrimenting what was ultimately my career. So the gym was something I could fit around everything. So I got into training, started to learn about it more, and it became not only a hobby, but also like an escape something where I could relieve stress, whatever. Long story cut short, started to hit the gym, started to see physical results. That then became something that kept it, you know, self-motivating. My twin then got into it as well. Again, no vision of monetization at all. This was a hobby. This was something that kept me sane mentally as well as physically. So yeah, that was the kind of light bulb. It wasn't the money side of it at all. It was the light bulb that I wanted to change physically how I looked. I wanted to, I know it's probably in this day and age, maybe, it's harder to say these kind of things because it's a bit more um, liberal. But yeah, I wanted to be in good shape, whatever that means. I think most blokes listening to this probably understand what I mean by that. Um, although those, those kind of um, visions are changing probably, but that's, that's what I wanted. Yeah. And that, that was my light bulb to, to get in good nick, yeah. Yeah. And would you say at the time, even still today, the gym, working out, training is addictive? Yeah, 100%, a thousand percent. And um, addiction is always like a negative word, doesn't it? We look at it and we think it's addictive and people say you're a workaholic or you're a gymaholic. Look, I think the reality is most people in life put their hands up, you're addicted to something. I know what I'd rather be addicted to. For me, that's a healthy addiction. Um, but I'm also in control of it, unlike some addicts might not know that they're in control of it. If I know that I'm training too much, I'm cool with it because I know that I'm doing it too much. But I know that the benefit of that, for instance, if I'm extremely stressed with work and I might train a little bit more or a little bit longer or a little bit harder, I know that the benefit of that is worth, well, the benefit of that mentally is better than the detriment of overtraining to me. Yeah. If you had to weigh the two up. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it is. And once, you, once you're started and you've seen the results and stuff, it's kind of, it is. But I know where the value is in my life from a physical and mental perspective as well. So was the kind of transition, the, the connection between you at the gym training, getting yourself in physically good shape as well as mentally, yeah. then coming up with this brand, London Muscle, Yeah. Was that the connection or were they two separate kind of different journeys that came together yeah, eventually? Yeah, really interesting question. So there, there was never a passion to go and do it as a profession. I, in my head, I knew my journey. I was going to be a criminal barrister, which I went on to do. But that was my, my journey and the fitness was a side path. It was a hobby and it was, a, it was kind of yeah an addiction, but it was never business. It was two different kind of um, journeys. And then back in 2012, 2013, there was a kind of another light bulb moment, which was Actually, I didn't really intend to be big in the fitness space. I didn't intend to be someone that was um, operating in that space at all. But I had a load of people locally and my twin brother and the other brothers that latched onto the fact that we were training. I was working for a law firm in Oxford Street at the time. I was balancing it with a working life, social life. And I started to ask questions and that allowed me to have a light bulb. I was like, right, there's enough interest here. There's a spark and I can, I can detonate it if I do the right kind of thing. So let's give people this information. Let's stop answering the same question once and then having to do it multiple times for other people that ask us, put it all in one place. And the blog was designed to kind of, it was the primary reason for it was to help people and to also make our life easier answering the same questions. We were different twins. There's not that many twins compared to non-twins. Uh, and we were a set of another, there was another set of brothers that looked like twins. So we had quite a cool little setup. It was different to other people. And we weren't people that were trying to be just fitness people. 
we were professionals. My brother was a solicitor, I was a barrister. It was different, but we were interested in fitness. So after six months of doing that and hiding my phone on Twitter at the time, it was massive under the desk at the law firm and trying to style out that I'm, I'm trying to juggle something else. We're like, this has to be monetized. Not necessarily just for the money, but to remunerate me for my time, my effort. I'm helping people day in, day out. I can't operate like a charity, but I also know there's enough here to make a business. And that's when we started to monetize back in 2013. We're like, we're going to charge for our services just to make our time justified. Yeah. Um, I know you and your brother on, on podcasts, sometimes together, sometimes separately, yeah. talk about that taking a leap of faith yeah. down uh, an avenue where you're going to be working for yourself, building your own brand, monetizing and following your passion. Yeah. But for a lot of people, that's a very, very, very hard thing to do. Huge. Um, sometimes people give this side hustle a little bit of time and they're getting a bit of success. And everybody from the outside knows that if they gave it 110%, it would probably blow up and become yeah. very successful. Yeah. But for some reason, their anxiety, their mental blocks, yeah. their pessimistic view on stuff prevents them from taking that leap. I believe you took the leap before your brother. Yeah. Am I right in yeah, saying yeah, that? Yeah. So how did you take that leap and why did your brother take longer yeah. to convert over to Yeah, good mission? question. I think this is so important in this part as well because there isn't a defining line for everyone that's the same. Like you and I can't give someone listening to this a single answer. If we could, it'd be night and day, it'd be easy. And I totally agree. And I'm, the whole idea about entrepreneurs a risk taker, right? That's what, that's what people have you believe online. Yeah, take a risk, take a leap of faith. Listen, financial stability before anything, pay the bills. Because financial anxiety and stress, especially as men, is the biggest killer. So I'm not going to sit here and tell people to take any reckless move. It doesn't make you a coward. It doesn't make you not a businessman. To me, it makes you rational. And that's why I think it's important. For me, I was working a law firm. Um, the role that I was in, I had a progression above me that I wanted to go to, but it was a bit of a carrot being dangled. Every time I got to that progressive stage, it would move. The markers would move. I had a personal kind of change in my life. Well, me and my twin mother did. My dad was diagnosed with cancer and was given a month to live, which was a massive, massive turning point, which meant I became overnight a, a full-time carer alongside trying to work in the city and then having a side hustle. And that's relevant not for, for heartstrings, but more because it was a side hustle I could run in hospital when I was caring for him. But a lot of the legal work required face-to-face -face with clients. So I could focus on the fitness business, switch off a little bit while I was in hospital and give it, give it some kind of beans while I was there. And that allowed it to kind of boom and I could kind of put my, let's say anger and frustrations into something positive but I had something to show at that time, um, show my dad the kind of progression of what we were doing. So that was, a, that was a factor, okay? Not the only factor. And having this progression at work that kept becoming closer and then getting further away, I was like, right, I'm not in something 1000% where I wanna be. Yes, I can get there, and I know I will, but I don't know about the timelines. I've now got this added complication that I've got three months, well, ended up having luckily three months, not a month with my dad but I'm now a full-time carer. So I can't work in the law firm, I'm doing this. So now I'm gonna smash the side hustle for various reasons, mental sanity, making my dad proud, and just something to focus on. I hate not being busy with stuff. And that for me then allowed me to have a bit more of a light bulb moment. Again, the third time we mentioned the word light bulb, but it was, it was a bit of mental clarity where I was like, I'm putting a lot of effort in and I'm seeing reward out of this. But crucially, we'd started to monetize at that point. I'd started to know that if everything didn't change overnight and the business stayed at the same size, I could survive. I was financially stable. And that made that decision a lot easier. If I was sat in that hostel room thinking, I'm not making a bean out of this, I'm gonna sack everything off tomorrow, then what? Like, I would never do that. And I think the leap of faith is once, to use that spinning plate analogy again, once your plate's spinning on a stick and it's stable, that's your time. If you have to juggle and work yourself to the bone, again, my personal opinion, not saying to do it, and have to work yourself to the bone on both entities to get to that stability point. I would rather be there than give the side hustle 20%, think, oh, I'll be fine, I'll jump in, and then think, where's my mortgage coming from, or my rent, or my food? Mm. That to me is not, not what it's about. And I think if most people are honest with themselves, and they're running a side hustle, and they're like, oh, I can't balance both, pretty sure, not all of you listening, pretty sure you can give it more. Pretty sure there's more hours in the day. Pretty sure you could go to bed later. Pretty sure you could wake up earlier. Pretty sure you could be quicker in the gym. Do you know what I mean? Pretty sure you could find and free up more time. Like I say to people all the time, they're like, oh, I haven't got time to do this. I said, mate, you drive two hours in London. It took me 24 minutes on the train to get here. I freed up an hour and a half. Hmm. The, do you know what um, I mean? 
there, there's uh, what that reminds me of. I'm a big boxing fan. I, I boxed myself. Yeah. Uh, my, my last fight was last year. So I always see there's parallels between fighters and business people. Yep. Because it's like, you know, do or die. Yep. What you put in in the gym will show up in the ring. If yep. you don't put the hard work in the ring, then, sorry, in, in the gym, you're going to get found out and probably hurt. And there's quite a lot of connections between the mindset of a business person to a boxer. Anyway, AJ, Anthony Joshua, there was an exclusive interview many years ago, and he said, I think the title was AJ Off Limits, and he said the exactly same thing. He said, when you feel like you can't give any more, there's actually probably another 10, 20, 30%, 100%. and you're actually stronger than you think. Yep. And for some reason, I've probably heard that saying multiple times through my friends, people on social media, probably even mum and dad. But for some reason, the, when he said it, it resonated with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I understood that there is more to give. Yeah. Um, so I totally respect, resonate, and, yeah. and share the same thought process as you. I believe you can definitely give more, whether it's time, whether it's effort, whether it's being more positive, being around the right people. Yeah, I definitely think there's, there's room always to grow. Just want to bring you back to something, which I'm not here to try and, you know, have a, an emotional conversation, yeah. but it's more about the, 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 the emotional and mindset uh, traits that you had during that, during that yeah, hard yeah. Period, period in time. Cancer and also heart disease are probably the two biggest killers in this country. Yeah. I mean, I've lost family members and friends yeah. because, because of it. I know how, how I deal with it. How the hell did you deal with that really hard period in your time losing your father? Yeah, I mean, this is an important thing. And I think what you were just touching on with the, with the point about AJ is 100% true. Some people thrive in situations of stress and duress and will will find that, I would say, like a badger. You just keep going. Even if it kills you, just keep You don't know what's good for you, but you'll just keep going. And at that time, I had loads of other things, like I got knocked off my bike and injured on the way to sort out a funeral. If you name it, it could have gone wrong, it went wrong. I was getting, it was like getting the, the, the what's it kicked out of me? Every single thing that seemed to happen. Then I got shingles because I was so run down. I was like waiting for the next blow or something to drop on my head. And you deal with that in one of two ways. We go back to the addiction side, you turn to drink or drugs, not a runner for me. I'd look at my dad and I, he would just say, you're not doing that, mate. So that wasn't an option, and I never have been that kind of person. So I'm quite lucky, I suppose, if I don't have that genetic trait to go to that side of things. The other way is think, I'm lucky to be alive. So why am I moaning I'm tired? Why am I moaning, oh, there's only a cut and, a, and you know, like damage on my bike, whatever. Why am I, I can't moan about it. I've just watched someone, like, turn from 80 kilos to a bag of bones with cancer. So nothing's that deep. And, and I kind of found that I had that 20 to 30%. I always could tap into that, I thought. I think I found another 40%. Because my radar recalibrated, mate. I was like, okay, what is important in life? And we sit here and people listen to this and they think, yeah, mate, it's all about money. Okay, cool. Uh, me and you can sit here. You like nice things, I can tell you do. I do too. I like cars. But if you sit me down and ask me, do I care about it fully? Is that life? It's not. Because I've had that, I guess, awakening. And that's a privilege in a way. Hmm. Because a lot of people that will listen to this, they'll get a bit of it. But unless it's shoved in their face, they can't relate 100%. Does that make sense? Mm. So for me, the gym was an hour. I was training like two, three times a day. I was riding 40 miles a day to care for him in a hospital three times. So I was going to work, going to do his breakfast, going to do lunch, going back in the evening, and then might go back a fourth time. So, and I was run down, man. I got shingles, like my body was finished, which I knew at the time was. I knew I shouldn't be training as hard as I did, but something would have given mentally if I didn't do what made me at the time cope with it. I'm not saying that's right for people to listen to it, but I knew that I had to listen to what made me happy. I was angry as well. I needed to let that out physically or I would have been just a, a meathead, mate. So the, the mindset stuff, again, like that's in a really horrendous part of your life where it's you know linked to that, but it's always, for me, cross-transferable and carries over. So for you with the boxing, that carries over to your business. I also think it's a good test for people when they go into that point in life where they're trying to tap into that 20 or 30%. If you thrive in it, I'm not saying you enjoy it, but if you thrive on that challenge where you're not a quitter, you're not going to give up. You knew that the only thing that will pull you down is your body failing, basically, which, you know, even with shingles, I was still pretty unwilling to, to stop. If that works for you, I think you're in the right place to go and create a business and be successful because you'll take those knocks on the chin, which will happen. It's never going to be plain sailing. If you're the person at the first hurdle and you drop, you think, you know what, this isn't for me. I feel a bit, stick with the day job. Don't worry about the side hustle because it's no criticism of you, but don't put yourself through something that isn't going to be the outcome you hope for. 
And I think you can train yourself to do it. There's no two ways about it. But I think if you're gonna train yourself to do it and it isn't innate in you, you need to be around the right, right people 100% or have a mentor, or have someone that's able to, when you're hitting those sticking points, recalibrate your brain and put you through it in the way that you need to be told what I call tough love. Yeah, It's something I actually do. I have a lot of mentor clients I work with across loads of different disciplines. But it's about having those conversations. It's not about necessarily paying for a motivational course to be motivated. Because sometimes if you're paying to be motivated by another, you're maybe not in the right mind space anyway, right? Because you're not self-motivated. But about having someone that understands life, been through a similar journey, and able to put you in your place and say, listen, I don't know if you want to hear it or not, but you're here to listen to me, you're paying to listen to me, this is what you need to do. It's not that bad. And the amount of people in life, they get caught up on like minor little issues, and it's catastrophic to them. You have to take them out of that and say, almost shake them and say, mate, honestly, it's not bad. And I'm not saying my life's bad for a second. Mm. I've had bad things happen, but I appreciate I'm very lucky for a lot of other things. And there's people who've had it way worse. It's not a competition, but I understand what's what in life. I think, I like to think so anyway. Yeah. Um, even the best of us though, yeah? So, so someone who looks after yourself physically, mentally, yeah. you've got a great business, you've got another, you, you've also got a brother who is basically identical as far as mindset's concerned yeah. and wanting yeah. the same things out of life. You've also got a, a few other really cool things going on. Yeah. But there must be days where you feel like, not depressed, yeah. but you might have a 30 second feeling yeah. of anxiety, depression, being fearful, yeah. not, uh, not motivated. And yeah. also thinking, am I really getting the best out of my, my day to day? Or yeah. are you completely resilient to that? No, no. Anyone that says they're completely resilient to it, I challenge you. You're lying. Life's life. Life can be good, it can be rough. You can have good bits in your life and you do feel like those, those emotions you just expressed. You might just wake up one morning and think, Ugh. I can't tell you why, but you do. That's life. And I wouldn't be doing people listening to this. I wouldn't come on here and talk junk because it's not helpful. That's what these conversations are about for people to listen and go, okay, that's all right. And I think if you're able to accept that that's part of life, then it's a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. And there are days where, you know, I don't, I don't bounce out of bed every morning at like 6 a.m. and be like, yeah. Of course you don't. That's nuts. You've almost got a problem if you do, probably. We're taking something you shouldn't be. But, but it's the way that you deal with those blips and dips. If you accept them for what they are and realize that actually, okay, cool, maybe I do need an hour that's a little bit less productive. Or I do need to just actually call it quits and take an hour out to train or whatever it is. Fine. Um, and again, I come back to the same point. It's a coping mechanism. If, if life is, for most people, doing that, it's not a linear line um, and it's not always up. It's how you deal with the troughs. If the troughs, if you're able to cope with a trough and not let it be um, dominating your life for too long. So like I will have little dips, but I know how to get out of them. The duration's short, the frequency's infrequent, and I'm able to minimize it, that's fine. If they become something you sit and rot in, that's when the problem is, and that's because you're not able to, to cope with what lies throwing at you and come out of it. Yeah. Um, and I always take everything back to the worst thing that's happened to me in my life. I compare everything against that as a yardstick, and I'm able to, within about 30 seconds, I'll give you an example to people that like cars and you like nice things in cars. In um, Storm Eunice, one of my cars got smashed to pieces by roof tiles, flew, flew off a house, okay? If you're not into cars, you don't care. It's probably, so what? If you're into cars, it's painful, right? Smashed to absolute pieces. Every single panel gone, panoramic roof, 24 grand of damage, right? So, okay, that's painful. When I saw it, I was like, oh. And I give myself five minutes. And I'm not gonna lie, I was devastated. I was really devastated, angry, pissed off, whatever you wanna call it. But then after five minutes, I was like, He's, what, what can I do about it? No one's dead. My family's all right. That's what I care about really, fundamentally. Doesn't really care about the money. Obviously there's insurance and stuff to cover it, but it cost me a fortune with future premiums and stuff. But it is only money, it's annoying, yeah. but I'll find a way to, to work harder to make that money back. And then just put it in a box and pu push it to the side. But I did have that dip. Now what I'm saying in that example is, it's a five minute dip for me, because I'm able to deal with it in five minutes. For some, some people, you know, they curb an alloy wheel on a car and they're not talking to someone for a week. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Everything's different in people's heads, but you need to have an ability to cope with it. Otherwise, things do just get out of hand. And that's just one example in a week of something that happens. Add another five things, and that's why people find themselves regressing massively. Yeah. Um, when I talk about London Muscle, and also, I, I was on there last night on your, on your website, on my yeah. phone, and I went on to the section where it said men's cutting program, yeah. and then also men's bulking yeah. program. Yeah. Now, I've, you know, over the course of my lifetime, training with different trainers, mostly boxing, that everyone's got a different style and everyone's got yeah. different goals, etc. Yeah. 
if I were to, you know, go on these courses, and I'm actually quite interested in yeah. this because I'm thinking about trying to change up what I'm doing yeah. to get a bit of probably motivation back and yeah, a bit yeah. of interest back yeah, yeah. again because I've been doing the same kind of stuff for a very long time. What would I expect? What would the journey be like if yeah. I were to go on one of those programs, yeah. cutting or, or, yeah. or bulking? So just to kind of summarise them, they're both training programs, 12 weeks, diet and training. A lot of people lack complete structure with what they do. They go in, they fiddle their thumbs, pick at a weight, pick at an exercise, pick at a muscle group. Then what do I do the next day? They don't optimise that journey at all. And equally, a lot of the stuff in fitness is unrealistic for someone that's just trying to get in and out quickly, doesn't want to devote three hours a day to it, doesn't want to be coming in this room here saying, Stephen, do you mind if I eat my mackerel and rice, mate? Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of people aren't in that extremity. So this is about putting together something that's comprehensive, that's proven by hundreds of thousands of people worldwide, that fits with a normal guy, working life, but gets them to the goals with the structure. What do I do? When do I do it? How many reps do I do? How long do I rest? Done but coupled with our 24-7 support. So we're in that inbox 24 hours a day, voice noting our clients, anything they need help with. If they don't understand something, it's not a stumbling block, it's a question and answer and they get on with it. If they need something adapted or moved or changed, we do that as well. So in essence, you come on a journey with the community okay. of, of London Muscle, which is hundreds of thousands of people worldwide going on a similar journey with a similar goal, but with a tried, tested, proven, credible training plan and nutrition that isn't something that's a yo-yo fix that you'll feel great for a few weeks, rebound and look worse in 12 weeks time. It's actually almost too good in the sense that it gives people the information that they could go off and do it for a lifetime afterwards and not be a repeat user. But actually that's kind of what we're about, educating people and allowing a lifestyle change as well as a physical and mental change. Yeah, nice. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that answers the question. I don't know if it was a... No, it definitely does. And obviously yourself, you, I mean, I know both both of you guys yeah. keep yourself in good nick, but I would say you're probably the more... Yeah, I'm you know, a bit the, extreme the, you're, on it, yeah. You're the one that is more like the bodybuilder-type-esque yeah, yeah. physique. Yeah, yeah. So why keeping yourself in shape and challenging yourself and getting your body fat right down to a very, very small yeah. percentage, why is that important to you? It started from that aesthetic point of view back at uni. And I know a lot of guys would be like, I want to be fit and healthy, but let's, let's cut around the, the rubbish. Like most, a lot of guys have a kind of an image they want to look like. They might not care about it, but most of us would say, I feel more confident when I look, I'm happy with how I look and happiness of how you look is, there's no right or wrong. But I had a body image in mind that I would like to look like. And that's what I set out to achieve. And I think a lot of us are kind of, if we're into our fashion, we're into our cars, we're into our watches, we're into our nice things. For me, it was kind of like, that was the other part I could change. Now, as a guy, not many of us will do makeup. You know, we might have a beard or our hair we can style. But for me, the body was the ability to customize. That was, was a big deal for a bloke. I thought, that's the biggest change I can make to my physical appearance. And we don't have all those other things that ladies can, can do to do so. So for me, that was a kind of starting point. And to this day now, I do have a massive emphasis on health a massive, massive emphasis on fitness and being a healthy, fit guy. I don't know if that's something that comes along more as you get older. Also to do with kind of watching my dad's, mind you, he was a fit, healthy bloke, so that's the irony, but anyway. Um, but I do prioritize that. So for instance, like the cardio side of things, I do a lot of cycling. It's a hobby, I like it, but I also want a healthy heart and lungs. So it's two-sided. Vanity, 100%. percent i would be lying if I said I don't care how I look. 100%, put my hands up, happy to say that, not, not ashamed of it but also genuinely being fit and healthy. I haven't got kids at my age yet, but I hope to have a family. I want to be a fit, healthy dad. Do you know what I mean? I, I want to have longevity in my life. Um, and also the mental side of things, which now, before we started London Muscle back in 2012, 2013, that mental side wasn't really recognized in the same way. And I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of rough patches in life. I would say I've never suffered from what you and I would call depression. We can have those blips in the day. But I genuinely put that down to one thing that's remained a constant in my life, which was training. Because I do have days which are tough at work. I do have challenges in life. Everyone does. But I'll go and smash myself to pieces. And if I'm mentally and physically drained at the end of the day, I feel like I don't even have the ability to have an emotion at the end of the day some days. I'm just, I'm done for the day. I'm satisfied in whatever way I can. Go to bed and the next day's a new start for me and I'm, I'm happy to be alive, so. Yeah, and I'll be touched on uh, Andrew Tate just before yeah. we, we started this conversation. And there's a lot of controversial things he's definitely has said, but actually there's actually quite a lot of good things he said. Agreed. And, and one, one of them is when you're feeling down or when things are not going right, the default thing to do is train. And I couldn't agree, agree more. Yeah, 100%. If you feel like a bit sad, if you feel like frustrated, if you feel like you need to come up with the answer with something, go into the gym, whatever that gym looks like for you, whether yes. it's running, cycling, yeah, yeah. doing weights, doing yeah. boxing, whatever, 
and you'll come out the other side, not necessarily all the answers, but probably closer to getting yeah. an answer because You're the stress place. is gone. And I've got to tell you, when, when he said that, I was like, that completely Preach, 100%. You know, resonates with me. And I think you sat there saying that and me having that conversation, we get it because we do it. I think for anyone listening to this, I challenge you, try it. Because yeah. I promise you now, I can still come out with the same burden on my shoulders, but it doesn't feel like a 10 out of 10. It's a six out of 10 because I've got endorphins and I'm, you never feel worse for it. It's impossible to feel worse coming out sweating. You might not love it. In fact, I train a lot of the time and I think I'm lifting something heavy. I think, I just want to say, I hey, off, like, I just can't. It's not I can't be bothered, but I'll push myself through it because I know that the end feeling is worth it. In 45 minutes or half an hour's time, yeah. I know what that feeling is. Even in the middle ground, if I'm like, I really don't enjoy this. And that is a mindset thing as well, isn't it? Because when the going gets tough and you don't want to be somewhere, what are you doing? You're looking at the short term, you're looking at the long term. I'm always yeah. trying to look at the long term. Like, what is the best thing to do in a scenario? I want the long term. I'll do what, what's needed in the interim to get to there. Yeah. So there's a guy called Jay Auditon uh, yeah. online. There's yeah, I know who you mean. Professor Green, uh, Tommy Maller. Yeah. And there's so many different people now are doing what I'm about to talk about, which is you've got the training. Yep. But now it seems like a lot of things online are going to eye therapy sauna the um what they called it the lymphatic yeah. flush yeah where you go from ice to hot you know yeah. etc and i think one of the main people who pioneered that that kind of movement or that mindset or that routine is is the win hoff so do you include that into your lifestyle now interesting that you know ice baths no saunas etc I don't, I don't include that at the moment that holistic approach though i see the value in it i do and i know the wim hof movement at the moment's massive and there's a lot of movements that go around i think what a load of junk i see merit in that i see value in it um it's something that you were talking about changing up what you do i'd like to add those holistic kind of ancillaries not exercise but other lifestyle changes that bring up about benefit and give them a try yeah because i'm really open to i'm not a i'm not a closed book on it but I, i'm quite aware there's a lot of bs but there's certain things like that that i think actually no i think there's merit in it so it's not something I currently do, but I do want to try those things and have a kind of even broader spectrum. I suppose I'm not searching for something in the same way that someone listens to this might think, I'm really struggling, I don't have that out, I don't train or I don't run or I don't cycle or I don't do the ice baths or whatever. So I'm not looking for something as like actively looking for something to assist me, but I feel like more is always going to be a good thing, right? Yeah. Having something different and you might think, actually, do you know what, that's even better or it gives you another option um, at a time where you're not able to, to do the thing that's an escape. Yeah, I um, I recently last year built um, uh, like a outhouse in my garden. So I built one over COVID for my gym and then I built a separate one to get this sunlight and sauna in and also something called a brass monkey. Okay. So I've only been practicing using the brass monkey, the ice bath for probably about three months now yep. or two and a half months. And even if it's just the mindset thing, getting in there for two minutes, literally freezing your bollocks yeah, off yeah, and then yeah. getting out of there, getting into the sauna, yeah. something happens. I yeah. can't put, I don't know what yeah, the, yeah. the full science is, but you kind of feel, feel a bit awake. But at the same time, I do think sometimes, is it a bit of placebo or is there genuine science behind what Yeah, I'm doing? 100%. I, that I don't know the answer to, but I would be happy with a placebo if it works for you yeah. as well, if that makes sense. So if, if it works for you, then so be it. Yeah. Whatever the science behind it is or isn't. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a fine line as well in terms of telling people you need to do this or you need to do this or making people feel that maybe they're not doing as much as they should be. I don't think any one of the things we've discussed is, is wrong or right. But if you're not doing anything, then I would say that's wrong yeah. from my personal perception. Or you're extremely mentally resilient if you don't have any escape outside of your work and your normal life and you're 100 out of 100 all the time. Fair dues to you. You're a superhuman. That's how I see it. Yeah. Um, and also, let's face it, you, you know, you've had bad spells in your life, I'm sure. I've had bad spells, but they're going to come to us at some point. You can't escape it. Life isn't final. Like, we don't live forever. So even if you don't feel like you need it in your life at the moment, why not start earlier? Because when you do hit one of those ruts in the road, you'd be better equipped, equipped to deal with it. And that's only a good thing. And I think for a lot of people that listen to these and might not have had that, that exposure to those horrible moments, why not be in a better position when it does happen? It's not me being morbid either, but mm. you have to have to be real in life. And I think being real is, is a good thing. Burying your head is not a fairy tale. It might be when we're sort of five or six, we run around and nothing really matters. But when you get to an age where you need to face the facts, you know, it's better to be in a position where you can deal with them. Definitely. So I, I mentioned off camera, I've interviewed quite a lot of people, what I would call in a car space. Yep. You know, Lord Aleem, Mr. JWW, Shmee, the Didi boys from Canada, Maximilian Kubra from the Gumball Rally, etc. 
And just me, I always try and, not try and work out, but with cars, I know certain, let's call them influencers, yeah. have a strategy to have a certain amount of cars because it makes the channel a lot more successful and yep. therefore they can monetize yep. it and they can get brand endorsement deals, yep. etc. And I know someone like Lord of Lean has got a slightly different business model because he actually hires the cars yes, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got Shmi, who's got a different model to him, which is all about the content. So with you, yep. is it purely a passion thing, the cars, yep. the Lambos, the uh, Range Rovers, the BMWs, yep. etc., or is there a monetization or an advertisement element to what you do? Yeah, interesting. So my brother's more extreme in terms of it's a passion point that then ultimately created a business, which ultimately then is in a circle, basically, if you like. So it started, both started from passion, both ever since we were old enough to know what a car was, just little kids, little boys, like, yeah, I want a Ferrari. So always been a passion point. So as I've become like, you know, more successful or less, I don't like using that word, but being able to afford these things, that's always been my benchmark for something to work towards because I've been interested in cars and I have a passion. So in the same way that someone might save up to buy a jacket they like or whatever it is they're interested in, for me, it was a car that was always, I want to get this. And that's changed over time. It was a 400 pound car to start with. Then it was a six grand, nine grand. So that's constantly, and I'm still chasing that now. So yes, passion. And then as time's gone on and I've entered into the social media world, which when I started back in with my law stuff, social media wasn't relevant to me. It wasn't, it wasn't as big as it is now. And it was never something that I needed in my life. I then can see the added benefit of having those items, which I'd still have, but broadcast online because young aspiring people will use that, whether wrongly or rightly, as a measure of success yeah. and something to aspire towards. So they're not used as a boasting tool, but they're more... They're kind of, unfortunately, materialistic things are a benchmark of success for a lot of us and be lying if we said we didn't look at them and think that someone in a nice car was more successful than someone that wasn't. Might not be true, probably isn't a lot of the time. But certainly for me, I knew that I used to look at those things and it used to help me think, I really want to get there. And so, yeah, they've become, they've become a tool of social media, but the passion point's still there. And, you know, in X amount of years, hopefully, where maybe I don't have to be online the whole time or I decide that my life has got to a point where don't want to broadcast my whole life. Maybe that won't be so visible. Maybe I will just be happy to be in a Range Rover and not post photos of it. But for now, I kind of go with what, what people like. It's also nice for other people to live that journey while they're on their journey to get those items in their life and be able to experience through the computer or through whatever they're viewing on what a McLaren is like to be out and enjoy that moment with us or remember being in... Um, up in the, in the mountains in Monaco with, with my twin, Archie, a good friend of ours. And we had an amazing time. We were in, I had a Porsche Turbo S at the time. But the audience loved it because they lived that moment with us. We were crying with laughter. We went for a tunnel. The exhaust was exploding. But it might be something that you're not, at this point in time, able to experience. So you can come on a journey and enjoy things that you wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. And it's actually really nice. And when you go to car events, um, I do a lot of work in, in different environments we might touch on, but... I work with a lot of men that have been in and out of custody, in and out of prison. I work in a prison. But for other people to be able to enjoy those elements as well. So I remember picking up, um, going back a couple of years, I remember picking up a guy that was heavily entrenched in gangs in London, always in prison, seemed to be a high security risk, highly violent. And someone I really took under my wing and was like, we're going to prove a point here. We're going to get you out on time for your thing. Got him qualified, qualified as a personal trainer. Um, and went on to, do, well, it still is doing very, very well and out of that whole life. But the point about it was, that actually when I was in custody, I mentioned to him, not in front of everyone, I said, listen, when you come out, like we've been talking, he loves cars. I picked up a Ferrari 488 I had at the time, a matte black one. I picked him up from, from Felton Prison outside the gates, done a big sentence. The other option was he was going to be picked up by a load of guys that he was in a gang with. And I remember driving back with him and that was a pinnacle moment for him because he was in a new world, a world that he wasn't able to you know, where he grew up and a productive environment. He never had that exposure, but it was someone that had managed to get to this point, which he wanted to, that was able to show him another route. And that moment of like aspiration, sitting in a car like that with someone that was helping him was massive for him from a mindset perspective and someone that gave, gave a shit about him, cared about him. And from that point on, I remember him throwing his mobile phone that he got because when you come back out, you get your property back. Actually making a conscious point of on the motorway, throwing his phone out the window, which was we won't discuss, but an old mobile phone to do with old business. And that was a, a genuine turning point. And so you look at cars and all these things and go back full circle to your question. It's crazy, the value actually. And to me, that's fulfillment. Driving a nice car and whatever, it's cool, but it's not fulfillment. It's not satisfaction, let's be honest. It's not genuine 
achievements. It's not wholesome. I don't find, I enjoy it for passion. If I had a long week at work and I get to use my car on the weekend to go, you know, go see my partner or something, wicked. I enjoy it. I'm like, that's the fruits of my labor, the blood, sweat and tears for that hour or two is worth it. But other than that, outside of that, there's a huge amount of scope. And I know my brother, in credit to Tom, he does a lot of stuff. Like even last week, he was visiting a young lad who's had a bit of a troubled life. He doesn't put that stuff online. It's not done to clout chase. I didn't put that moment I just told you online. I'm not telling people for any other reason than to answer the question. But I know my brother does a lot of stuff. He often, he's been to you know hospices and, and surprised the children at Christmas. And a lot of people do use it for the wrong reasons. It's clout, it's a PR stunt. He does loads of that stuff in his own time for, for genuine helping of others. And obviously it, there is fulfillment for us, but it's not using it to go, oh, I'm a do-gooder online and you know that's a PR stunt and that's, for me, people are still benefiting from it, but it's for the wrong reasons, do you know what mm. I mean? So yeah, mate, they've got a huge, huge scope of kind of um, use, but ultimately, mate, I get the train to you now, I ride a moped in London like a scooter around everywhere or I ride a pushbike. I, I do not need to drive in London. It's a nightmare. It's yeah. hell. I'll be honest. And Sadiq's made it uh, more expensive than it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> I see a benefit with with the whole uh, car posting stuff online, especially when you've got nice supercars and stuff. Yeah. Because, look, you are going to get hate. It's all it's mm. going to come with the territory. Um, but then on the other side of that is there's a good community. And I feel, yeah. feel that people that like nice cars or buy nice cars... They kind of got a certain mindset. 100%. They like to travel. They like to speak in a certain language in a certain way. They yep. like to be around certain certain people. And you create a nice culture and a, and a community. And I think that's that's really important. Just for the benefit of talking about cars, because I'm a car nut. I love, yeah, yeah. I love cars. I've done a Gumball Rally last year. Oh, mega. Done it in a, an Aventador from Toronto all the way down to Miami. Brave it man. Was, it was insane. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Um some of the cars that you own now, some of the cars that you've owned previously. I think my favourite has been your SV uh, Ventador. So Ventador SV, that's a that's a previous car, but mega mega car. Yeah, just a, just a drama to own, just funny, just start to finish every time you turn it on, just intoxicating. Current lineup, brand new Range Rover. I sound like a a bore. I absolutely love it. I can't stop singing about it. They're just good, and just you get in it and you're happy. Um, Defender V8, Carpathian edition, the matte black V8 Defender, cool. Like, like a Range Rover SVR, but the Defender, just just cool, loud, obnoxious, but just rugged. Um, recently, a few weeks ago, or a month ago, McLaren 600LT Spider in orange, back in the supercars, um, hadn't had the supercar for a while. Um, and before that was a Bentley W12, the new Bentley Continental. Love that luxury performance, everything you want. Ferrari 408, 911 Turbo S, Hurricane Spider, um, Porsche 911 GTS. I mean, quite a few... Nothing compared to my brother, Mad, who's, who's making me look like an idiot in that respect. But yeah, a lot, a lot of cars. Um, Favourite brand probably out of those. Controversial. I think Porsche just does everything so well. Porsche and Range Rover. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a, a, fair, a, fair, a fair old collection over the years, yeah. Yeah, and which one's been your, your, your absolute favourite um, to, to drive? Oh, no. 911 Turbo S. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had a Turbo. I had a 997 Turbo cab. Uh a short shift gearbox. Really, manual. Really cool. Yeah. Tom's just bought a convertible 997 Turbo oh, manual. Really? Yeah. yeah. So that stuff now, I think, don't know, that stuff now is mega cool. Because a lot of the modern stuff's getting a little bit over the top. The cool, that era, manual turbo Porsche is cool. Well, that's... What, uh, and they're going up in value. I've only ever owned, I've, I've owned a few Lamborghinis, um, Gallardo and uh, Performante, etc. And the only Ferrari I ever owned was a 458 uh, Red uh, Coupe. Amazing. And I think it was a great car, but it was at that moment that I felt that the car became a bit too good. Yeah. I feel like it was a bit too smooth. Yeah. Whereas the Lambos, I still like the fact that they weren't as good. They yeah, were yeah. quite aggressive. And Gearbox. You felt, yeah. yeah, like the Aventador, like... I. I kind of like it because it's a bit clunky. No, I know exactly what you mean. It's more soul. It's got yeah. more soul. The 488 Ferrari that I had, exactly what you're saying. It had no soul. Not saying it's a bad car, but I just didn't didn't gel with it. I just didn't get that kind of, yes, it's quick, but lots of cars are quick. Hatchbacks now are like supercar speed used to be. Yeah. So it's not about the speed. Like there needs a bit of drama and performance and all the noise is getting quieter with all the emissions. So some of the, some of the more clunky, robust stuff is good. Like, yeah. Um, we did touch on something which is uh, a bit of a sad story but I think it's quite relevant to, 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 to be saying it because there is a big problem certainly across the country in certain major cities including London yeah. about gangs knife crime mm. ro ro uh, you know robberies etc and 
there's this kind of balancing acts. You want to become uber successful, build up a profile, own nice stuff, which is nice watches, cars, clothes, etc. Yeah. But then you can become a bit of a target, which is 100%. which is unfortunate. Does that ever cross your mind? You you might think to yourself, if I become too successful, put myself out there too much, yep. I could become a target for muggins. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So on that, I, I work. I'm. I guess I'm exposed to it in a way because I do work in prisons. I work in gangs in London, so I get it and I understand the reality of it. And ignorance isn't bliss, and it is bad, and it's not me um, shaking people up or scaring them, but. London, major cities, all of them, but London, it is a dangerous place. Whether you see it at face value or not, be under no illusion, you're not far away from a knife or gun at any time. Yeah. Now, if that's in the gang context, it's a little bit different because you and I going about our own business, unless we're causing a problem, it's less likely to have an end effect on us. So that side of things that I do a lot of work in, for me, is more comfortable. I'm not saying that some of those guys won't do other crimes, but it's a little bit more contained in my eyes of how it operates. There's a, there's, a, there's a kind of war between two different parties of which I'm neither. The robbery side of stuff, 100%, and the amount of people I know that have been robbed from social media is a lot. I'm not talking even people with big presences online. I'm talking about the guys that just enjoy a nice drive on the weekend that play golf that don't realise that having a Rolex in their photo makes them a target. So 100%, as you can see, I don't wear a watch in London. I don't house a watch in my, in my apartment. I have everything in a vault. I don't have anything of any expense other than my car. And even then that's not parked outside my house. Mm. Even motorbikes in secure storage away from where I live. And that is because of, of what I deem to be just not me, but a threat by having nice things, living in major cities, London included. So 100%. I think, you know, you can't live your life sheltered and think, oh, I can't put my car online because people are watching and want to rob me. I think that would be you holding back and detrimenting where you could go and the benefits you could achieve. But be savvy about it and realise that actually, if you if you you can do certain things to hopefully alleviate that. And for me, that's not putting myself in a position that's just for what I do. If I go places in a watch, I'm going to get robbed. Yeah. I know that, so I don't do it and yeah. I won't do it. So yeah, I think there is a there is a risk. I wouldn't change what you do, but I'd be very savvy and very conscious about it. Um, you know, don't post where the amount of people that I like drive cars with just innocently will post a photo of their driveway. I'm like, that's your that's a you put a sticky note on where you live. Yeah. No. Yeah. The um I saw a video uh not even too long ago where a guy who was on a moped with a obviously a helmet on you couldn't tell who he was and he had no number plates on was yeah. trying to hack through a Bugatti window yeah, yeah, in order yeah, to yeah. get to the guy yeah. and the guy was just you know sort of uh, he was going at a snail's pace he couldn't get out because of, yeah, because of the, the tra yeah, yeah. traffic and eventually he pulled off but these guys were hacking at it like they were hacking down a bamboo tree I mean they they, 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 they did not care and then I saw another not a video but a series of photos where a guy was followed in Chelsea for his Protect for Lead Aquanaut and got to his front door and they basically went to attack him with a knife. He put his hands up and got cuts everywhere and they took off his watch. Mm. And it's just like, when I was younger, I'm gonna sound pretty old here, I'm 37 years of age, but literally when I was younger, in my 20s, it, 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 there was robberies. But not that level of violence. But it wasn't like that. It wasn't, right. it wasn't that barbaric. It wasn't mm. that do or die. Like, I'm going to kill you yeah. in order to get your watch yeah. or you're somehow going to get away. It was more intimidation than someone... You might probably, get a whack. Someone, someone will probably hand over the watch. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or they will corner someone and yeah. then that was it. 100%. Why do you think that the, 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 the violence has gone so through the roof, certainly in London over the last few years, to do with you know taking people's items yeah i think now it's obviously it's the black market for things what let's take face it is predominantly watches although i know people are getting robbed for coats at the moment the black market's pretty much 50 percent of retail for a watch so if you're a young young lad predominantly men doing it and you look at a protect there's 150 grand and you know you're getting 75 grand for it tax-free that's why because for a lot of these young men they're in a position where they don't see there's another way around it and equally, it is a hard conversation. I work in custody. If you've got someone that's young and motivated and wants to do the right thing, and they know they can do 75 grand in a single robbery, and that is tax-free, or you could go and get them a job at an entry level somewhere, whether it's in construction, fitness, whatever, and they can get up at five o'clock in the morning for 25 grand a year, that's a hard conversation to have. If, especially, they've grown up in an environment where from a young age, maybe nine onwards, maybe younger, maybe a little bit older, they've seen people stabbed. 
if that's normalized to you, you and I are shocked to see someone, well, I'm not so much now, but shocked to see someone bleeding or the head split open or, you know, barbaric stab wounds, sh shootings, whatever. But if you've grown up in that environment, you know, what you and I saw on a computer game, maybe when we played a game that was an age rating above what we should have done, these guys have seen in real life. So the, the mental kind of barrier on doing these barbaric things, it's not barbaric, it's normal. And if your young informative years are watching people slash with zombie knives or disemboweled, what they're doing to people isn't that, isn't that big a deal. And that, that's the problem. And so because of the level of violence, not just in robberies, but around the associated kind of demographic that they're involved in has got so bad and so out of hand, the boundaries have shifted now. And, and the morality of back in the day when we had the craze and people, and there were certain boundaries about probably wouldn't beat up a woman or stab a woman or there were certain moral layers. None of that anymore. Yeah. None of that. I work a lot in the youth side of, of one of the prisons. There's none of that. Even the guys I work with that are adults, late teens, early 20s, look at the 14, 15, 16 year old and they said they're wild. And I'm talking about adults that have done seriously violent crimes, but they've got their own sort of pecking order of what isn't, isn't okay. There is none of that at the younger age. And that is the real worry. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, you see it on films and you, hear, you, you see it on like YouTube documentaries, etc., where the older school people, they could be very violent and they had but they had their, their kind of their own laws yeah. in their own yeah. communities and they had their own barriers and, you know, never touching children or yeah, a female. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if they had a problem with someone and they saw them out with their kid, they would leave them alone yeah. because they were their yeah. kid. And there, there's kind of a bit of, you can kind of admire that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, you can people. understand it. Yeah, you can, you can understand it. But now these kids are literally, I mean, they're beating up women okay. and, 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 yeah. and they're affecting the kids mm. as they're trying to take their items off them. And I just think like, when, when is this all going to end? Yeah, it's, it's a really deep issue. I'd love to have the answer. I think because of a lot of the way the gang culture and the drug, drug scene is and the, the fact that it's become a very clever business, the whole country, country line running drugs across the country is a clever business. And that's the irony with a lot of the guys I meet and work with, they're extremely bright. From a business perspective, they're running franchises without, well, with knowing it. It's, it's a clever business model. But because that's now filtered through to get cheap labor, cheap labor being younger and younger people that are willing to do things for less and less money or a pair of trainers or whatever, that's what's ultimately happened. We've just moved the number lower and lower and lower. And those years are so damaging to have someone of that age where it's so important. Most, well, both of us are sat here, we probably got a good understanding of wrong and right. And we got led astray when we were younger a bit, but we had a foundation, our parents. If your foundation isn't there at all, or the main person is teaching something, you don't have any parameters at all. It's very hard to reinstall that. And ultimately, it's almost too late when you've gone and committed something where you're gonna get 16, 20 years for, because now you're back in a cycle of other like-minded individuals having to fend for yourself. The chances of rehabilitation in that environment, very limited. It happens, and I work with a lot of amazing men that have, have, have turned things around, but they're normally more mature. Yeah. If you go in at 14, 15, 16 years, and you've got 16 years minimum recommendation of a sentence, so you're 16 and you're not going to be released, you're 32. If those 16 years of your now adult development yeah. is in a prison where everything is predominantly around survival and other crimes and a lot of bad influence, when you come out at 32, as a 32-year-old, that was subjected to the things before you were 16 and spent those 16 years where you had a chance to maybe change and develop and self-grow in another toxic environment. Where are we? Hmm. Not in a good place. What, why did you start working in the prisons? So when I, I qualified as a criminal barrister and I went to law school to study crime because I was just, I got in trouble with the law when I was a kid and I was just, just an idiot. But I found that side fascinating, maybe for the wrong or the right reasons. And then when I qualified, and then when I went down the fitness route and took this leap of faith, I always really got stimulated by that side of things. I found that really something I really had like a passion point in. Um, and so I wanted to go back and I wanted to help people. I wanted to be in a position where I'd done all right for myself and I could see that there were other ways to make money. A lot of friends I'd grown up with, it was amazing to be able to kind of help other people exit a cycle. And I just thought, I'm going to give it a shot. I want to go in. A prison officer came on one of our courses. London Muscle runs the personal training qualification to become a qualified PT. And I just said to him, look, let me come in. Just let me come in. I want to have a thing. So I went in. I trained. Um, I used to train in just a, in the wing session. So when a wing came down to have gym time, I used to train as if I was an inmate. I didn't even say who I was and just got to know people. Really? And there was a massive buy-in at the time. And interestingly, 
at the time, I can't remember what it was. When I first went in, I was wearing a nice pair of trainers or something a little bit that got people's eyes open. Not to boast, but it was a pull-in. Got talking. And there were just so many people that were desperate to find out what, like, it was help. It was someone that was genuinely come in, achieve things that they want to achieve, that they'd gone about it in the wrong way. And now there was a role model, well, not even a role model, I don't mean it arrogantly, but there was someone that was willing to help them that wasn't staffed, that wasn't compromised as a police officer or someone they thought was untrustworthy, who could show them a light and a path and genuine hope. And the weirdest thing was, I went in and I started to create a good report, which the prison sort of noticed quite quickly, like these guys are buying into you. And although we can run these courses in here, there isn't the same buy-in. It needs the buy-in for people to see it through to the end and succeed and what have you. And then we started running these family days where I give people like that perform well or qualified a tracksuit or, so, or just a shaker. And they were having these ceremonies where their families could come and they'd be given a certificate and given some self-worth. And it was unbelievable because a lot of these lads had never had any praise. They didn't even know how to deal with. You know, I have grown men that are quite violent men crying because someone has stood up, called them by their name and talked for a minute or two about how um, talented they were. They didn't know how to deal with that emotion because no one's ever shown them that love. Mm. And so it, it, it was a really kind of powerful journey and I knew there was a huge amount of value and I probably 30 men out of that life into full-time work off my own back, out of my own pocket, not paid. And it was something that gave me genuine satisfaction and over time has become kind of a passion but something that I really want to bring about change in because there's a lot of projects that go on that don't bring about a huge amount of benefit that are funded and paid and I sit having spent 20, 30 grand of my own money transforming lives I could bring them into this podcast now I could fill your room with men from all different parts of London that on paper should kill each other who have changed their lives and let them just talk about their experience and what it's done for them but haven't been paid a penny and it's not about making money but someone and there's plenty of people that do good I'm not just saying me if we could fund that I wouldn't take the money every single one of those guys has the ability to go and help another 10 men they should be funded so that they can do it. They have a job. They have an opportunity to go and do that mm. um, outside of it. So, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love it. Really passionate about it. I think there's a fitness is, like we said, it's such an escape, especially in that environment, mentally and physically. The, the benefits it can bring about, well, there's, thankfully, there's huge government reports into, um, you know, the benefits of being in custody. But it does, it does change the game. And then coupled with the business mindset element, it really changes the game. And it opens eyes um, to what can be done. Yeah, um, and it's actually something going forward that I, I really passionate and want to drop I actually do want to do a podcast that's in that world which allows other people again we spoke about earlier if you can compare your life to another's and people say don't compare your life it's you know it can cause problems it can at the higher end and stuff but compare your life to what you actually have got in your life and what other people haven't had mm -hmm. a lot of the stories I can tell you people don't even know it exists or that people are subjected at a young age and they're sitting there worrying about their problems when actually they're probably instantly listening to that feel actually, do you know what? I've got a lot to be grateful about. I could be a lot more positive about my life. Um, it's, a, it's a whole other world, but, but something I absolutely love, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> to conclude this then, James, um, over the next few years, yeah. cars obviously are going to come and go, but is there any plans, certain cars you want to, want to get? With London Muscle, what's the end goal with that? Training-wise, are you looking yeah, to yeah. try and get down to a certain body yeah, yeah. percentage or you want to have more muscle mass? I mean, what's the end result? look like for you what for life going forward yeah yeah i'll never be someone that aims to have a finish point because i'm even if you said to me even if you made me an offer today to buy my business for me for life change money i wouldn't take it because i would if i had other things that i could go right okay, i can go and occupy myself i like to be occupied i like to have the next thing i don't think there's ever an end point and i think i'm, I'm happy Agreed. with that same with the training i'll just continue to train and try and be the best that i can be and what i do Take on more things in, in, in the way we spoke about, different ventures, different sports, different commitments, try different things. Want to get into a little bit, try a bit of CrossFit, try the Wim Hof method. Just try and add to that portfolio of the fitness side of things. Um, Business-wise, got some cool stuff coming out. Obviously, I do mentorship. I've got London Muscle. Um, and I really want to, well, I am building in the background a business school with my brother to help people that are sat listening in this environment to, I've got an idea, I'm in my nine five, but how do I take that first step forwards? What stages need to be in place? Part of that is mindset. And then going through that journey with them over a period of weeks to get to a point where they're in a, uh, a safe environment to make money out of it, basically. Business-wise, London Muscle, ultimately sell it. Sold it. Sell the business at some point. It's got loads of different moving parts. Um, but I'd still like to have the give-back part where we, we help in custody and help people um, you know, go on and transition. Is there, a, is there a figure? Sorry to interject, but is there a figure you like to sell it for? 
there isn't no and that sounds stupid right but there isn't there isn't a golden number i want to just get it to where i know i can get it and the figure is the figure that results from that and i'll give it everything i've got and i'll be happy with that because that's what i deserve for it um yeah no there's not which is probably sounds a little bit stupid, but I'd be pieing pie in the sky sort of idea if I did. There's so much more scope and growth and obviously everything moves as time goes on, so no. And any other cars you've got on your wish list or in the pipeline that you'd like to get? I don't know why. I've got itches. I want to scratch issues going backwards in in a way like people may be listening. I, I just want a hooligan hot hatch or something that's just a little bit less aggro. Yeah. Just, a, I don't know, like a, just a run around that I can just get in A to B, maybe do a few little mods to it to make it a little bit quicker, like a Golf R or just a, just a Q car that's just does what it says on the tin, isn't aggro, don't need to worry as much about it as, as the stupid expense stuff. I want to go back to that kind of hooligan stage yeah, and relive a bit of youth, the stuff that I loved. I, lo- I had a Golf GTI, I loved it. And that, that RS3, something like just something that's in the middle ground. It's not mental money, but it's mental fun. Mate, I, I had one of my best cars ever I used to have a lot of fun in was my VTR Citroen Saxo. Unbelievable. I, I put an induction kit on it. I, I had, had a pipe on it, lowered it, yeah. and it was unbelievable. Mate, I had the, I had a blue one, yeah. and it was the, that was the first kind of, I think I paid two and a half grand for it. That was the first car, exactly the same as you. I loved it. I had a oh. manifold on it. It used to go off the clock, the speed. It was unbelievable. And I always wanted the VTS, which was yeah. the one above it. Yeah. I couldn't quite get there at the time. Mate, they're, they're, they're collector's items now. Yeah, really cool car. I wish I hang on. Really cool. I, I couldn't hang on to it, but I wish I had. So, so your, 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 your brother's had some really wild cars. Mm. I mean, like, uh, is it Pulse GT? He's got Carrera GT. He's got, yeah, he's got a lot of the Grail cars. Yeah, yeah SLS, yeah. GT. Really clever moves as Did well. Did he have a F40 or something at one point? Didn't have an F40 Testarossa. Okay. Um, so he's got a really cool but clever, from a financial perspective, like portfolio, I would call it, but also just bucket list cars that you just like wow yeah pretty um, sick and it's, it's calculated it's passion mix I know the Carrera GT growing up as a kid that was the car he won he was like that's amazing it was a dream yeah. like a myth really and, mm. and that was for him as much as an amazing financial move for him that really was if I can achieve that again in the context that we know that's not what life being completed is about at all health before anything and everything else but he was like that's something that that's the pinnacle of what, if i can achieve that i've really done an yeah, amazing yeah. yeah and and that was for him to be able to realize that as a, as a genuine possibility and go on and do it was a real grail moment for him which is i'm mega proud like i remember collecting with him i was like this is sensational yeah. just as a print not forget the piece of metal but just what that represented it, it is a milestone and something to talk about for years to come. Yeah, powerful car. Right, last question. So yeah. when I first come up with my um, business when I was younger, I came up with a mantra. Okay. And the mantra goes like this, be happy, never content. If I were to ask yourself, what does be happy, never content mean to you, James? Very good question, profound. And I like the mantra, it's a good one. Uh, so be happy, I think that's self-explanatory in the sense that be grateful for the baseline of life. The baseline of life for me is health and yep. being alive, breathing, all my organs and the people I care about being alive. So every day I'm happy in the sense that if I wake up and everyone's all right, then I have an ability to cope because everything else is a bonus. So for me, being happy is just understanding the basics in life, what truly matters. Being content, if you get content, I think you can become complacent. If you yeah. become complacent, you you can become unhappy as well and unfulfilled. So I, I'm most comfortable being uncomfortable and that's how I'd, I'd sum that up. I'll moan. And I'll moan that I'm knackered, I'm stressed, I'm working too much or whatever. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'd moan the other way. So for me, yeah, being content can, you know, if you're too happy, then that can be something that can be negative. And actually, final thing on that and and why I bought my business partners out of my business, there's nothing wrong with being content. So for some people, contentment is existing and just being able to get through life from a financial perspective and pay the bills and just be happy with life. And because they don't, get the thrill out of being or trying to be monumentally successful, being content for, for some people, depending how you're wired, is, is fine. But I think your audience of people listening to this, they know that being just content and, and sitting still won't make them happy, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if your mindset is in your listening this and you always want to strive, be an entrepreneur and successful, I think that being content piece is dangerous. And I think that's what your mantra probably alludes to. Hence why you're sat and you know show me where you're based and what you've achieved is 
that's your mantra and it's clearly something you stuck by yeah top man really enjoyed the conversation thank you very much for Pleasure. your time mate and uh, hopefully at some point in the future when you sold London Muscle for yeah. 100 million you're now driving around in F40s yeah, F50s yeah. or Enzos yeah. we could do a part two 100% alright thanks for having me top man cheers thank you, thank you. God bless